We are in a series right now called The One True God. And this morning, I want to start with this, that Jesus prayed in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I hope that each and every one of you will get this verse, the principles of this verse down in your heart, that eternal life is really about this. It is about knowing the one true God, the only true God. There's only one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. You know what? God has given us all a free will, and we can believe anything that we want to. I mean, it's, it's kind of all the rage. You just believe whatever you want. And I, I've told this story many times before, but it just illustrates so well and spells out the religious attitude of the day in our country. Some years ago, I was driving a church van full of teenagers. And one of the teenage girls, for some reason, she feels the need to announce to me that Jesus headbangs with us. I was, I was just like, wow. I said, really? Where did you get that? She said, Jesus is whoever we want him to be. And you know, that is so much the attitude of the culture that we live in. That God is whoever I want him to be. We all just kind of make up our own personal version. Well, this is who God is to me. Listen, I have something to tell you this morning. That God is who he is. And if you know him as something other than who he really is, you don't know the true God. You're worshiping an idol. You need to know the one true God, who he is. He is who he is. Did you know he declares that? Well, it's pretty plain in Exodus 3 and 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. You can't change him. You can't make him into what you want him to be. He is who he is. I am who I am. He is immutable. He's unchanging God. He doesn't change through the ages. He doesn't change to suit us. He is who he is. I am who I am. And if we want to know this one true God then we need to know him as the God of the Scriptures. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says, a God begotten in the shadows of a fallen heart will quite naturally be no true likeness of the true God. You know, when I say a fallen heart, we might just think strictly of those who don't know God, who are not born again. But the truth is, is that a God that is imagined in the heart of corruptible man can never be all that the true God is. No, we seek to know him 
as the true God. You know, all of us are at different places in our understanding of God, in our intimacy with the Lord, but we should all be seeking to know Him as He truly is, as the Scripture reveals Him, not some made-up version of a religious culture and not something that we have just made up with our own imagination. We want to know the one true God. And if we want to know the one true God, we have to know Him as the Holy One. It got real quiet. Nobody got excited. The Holy One. The Bible speaks of God being the Holy One, that exact phrase, over 50 times. Over 50 times the Bible calls Him the Holy One. There is no attribute, there is no other statement made about God anywhere near that many times that He is called the Holy One. And it tells us again and again and again that God is holy. (laughs) I almost never hear anybody refer to the Lord as the Holy One. We just don't do that. You know why? It's not religiously correct in our culture. We don't talk about that. Oh, that's old religion. I'll tell you what, sometimes, sometimes we just get an error. We think, we think we've got it all figured out. All those foolish generations were before us just didn't know what they were talking about. Give me some of that old-time religion. Amen. Makes me love everybody. Yes. I just want to tell you, we need to go back to where we have an understanding of the holiness of God. Without that, we don't truly know Him. He is the Holy One. He declares it Himself in Isaiah 43 and 3. He says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In Leviticus and 1 Peter, both He says, He declares it, I am holy. The third person of the Trinity, who is it? The Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we just, we just kind of call it the Spirit, or we, we just say it really fast, you know, the Holy Spirit. But we need to realize what we're saying. The Holy Spirit. Amen. That is the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit. And if we desire to know Him, then we need to seek to know and to understand His holiness. I think our generation has just lost so much of what holy means It's just kind of become a foreign concept to most people. Even most believers have a really shallow understanding, a perception of what the word holy means. And it is in part the reason that there is so little fear of God in our culture. This moral slide in our country, and we've all witnessed it. I mean, if you've lived very long, you have watched it. You have witnessed it taking place There's this lack of the fear of God and no knowledge of the Holy One. We need to know Him as the Holy One. Just a generation or two ago, there was a lot of emphasis among God's people on an outward holiness. And it often produced unhappy, unfruitful Christians. And so there's such a reaction to that that the pendulum has swung so far the other direction where we don't want anything to do with the idea and the concept of holiness. 
We don't even talk about holiness anymore. We don't talk about God being holy near as much as we talk about a lot of other things that are just more comfortable and easier and safer. It's amazing in our time we have this cafeteria-style Christianity where we pick and choose the parts that we like and what we don't like. And we pull verses out of context without hesitation. We even take phrases out of verses. And I just want to say sometimes, yes, a verse, a principle of a verse, or even a phrase of a verse, that there's a principle there that can stand on its own, especially if you're interpreting it right in the light of the rest of Scripture. But so often, we just kind of pick the part we like and we don't talk about the rest of it. We, we talk about the part we think is pertinent and applies to us. And the rest of it, we just ignore it and act like it's not even there. And so, you know, there's a powerful truth from the Scripture that I certainly preach a lot and I think needs to be preached a lot more, but it is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. How many of you are familiar with that statement? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. I, I got about five people. Is that really all? Y'all just, I don't know. Reason. You know that statement. Many of you know that statement. I mean, if you've been in this church very long, you've heard me preach it. I know you don't remember what I preached last week, but I'm just saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a lot of believers have heard that and they, they're familiar with that. But let me just get on to the rest of the verse. It's Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And here's the part that so often we don't talk about. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The two go together. Because without a knowledge of the Holy One, we don't have the fear of the Lord. If we're unaware that He is a holy God, there's no need for the fear of the Lord. It doesn't... Listen, this is why in our country there, there are no absolutes, there's no real morals and values that you can stand on because without the fear of the Lord, without a holy God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we live, what we do, it's all just up to you, whatever you think. No, there is a holy God and we live our lives before Him with His watchful eye watching us, looking out over our lives every day. Amen. We need the fear of the Lord and we need the knowledge of the Holy One that gives understanding. Because, you see, without that, there's no understanding. We're void of real morals and values and right and wrong and what pleases God. There's this nonchalant attitude about God today. And it is from a lack of understanding of the Holy One. And it is in part why it has become so popular in religious America for a church service to be more about the music and you know what we want and what we're comfortable with and you know than about a, an encounter with the holy god 
there's this flippant attitude like it's no big deal. You know, yeah, I went to church. This is in part why going to church is so optional today. I mean, do you want to go to the thing and work, you know, sing some songs and hear a little sermon, get a pat on the back, praise God, you're doing good, keep going? Or do we want to go and meet with the holy God? Do we want to truly encounter God in our service? I'm telling you, we need to go back to the knowledge of the Holy One that that is why we have come here. That is the reason why we come here. It's to meet with a holy God. It's not, a, it's not just about me, 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 and what I want, what I like. This consumer mentality about church. No. It's not a cafeteria where we pick what we like. What we, it is about a holy God. And this is who He is. He is the Holy One. See, without a knowledge of the Holy One, we don't even approach Him right when we pray. It started back in the 60s, you know, people saying things like, the man upstairs. And people talk, talk about their prayer life. And I hear even preachers talking this way, talking about how you just talk to God like He's just your buddy. He ain't your buddy. He is holy God, almighty, sovereign God of the universe. You don't talk to Him with disrespect. You don't speak to Him in a way like you would just talk to just anybody. No, you talk to Him with reverence and respect, with the fear of the Lord, as though you were talking to the holy God. Fearful and awesome God. How do I know that? Our Lord and Savior taught us to pray this way. They said, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, these guys were smart enough to figure out that Jesus knew what he was doing when he came to prayer. Do we? Are we smart enough to figure that out, that Jesus knew what he was doing when he prayed? Well, here's how he said to pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What's well, just some weird, flowery, religious language? Hallowed, the Greek word that's translated there as hallowed, is the same Greek word that is translated as holy almost everywhere else in the New Testament. But it is to say that God's name is holy. It is an acknowledgement of a holy God. It is showing respect and reverence for our heavenly Father. Yes, He is our heavenly Father, the sovereign God of the universe. He's in heaven. But when we pray, we don't talk to Him like we're talking to an equal We talk to Him with respect, acknowledging who He is. Hallowed be your name. Don't misunderstand me. You see, it's not about a phrase. You don't have to say holy. You don't have to say hallowed. It is an attitude of the heart that we realize who it is that we're praying to. We're praying to holy God. Teach us to pray. You don't need 16th century English. You don't need a memorized prayer. You you don't need any theological terms. Yes, you talk to him as you normally would talk, but we talk to him with reverence and respect, acknowledging that he is holy God. This religious culture's just tried to do away with the holiness of God in order to make him, well, 
seem more like us. They want to make him easier to relate to, easier to understand, more palatable to the masses. I mean, if we just dumb down God enough, then everybody will like him. You don't have to sell Jesus. And you can't change God. And you can't just depict him the way that might make somebody feel comfortable. He is who he is. And people don't need a made-up God. They need to know the true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so church, I'm telling you, we can't just go along with the religious culture in America. We have to be willing to hold to the truths of scriptures. The things that the Bible says about God, those things are true. And it doesn't matter if it makes us uncomfortable. He is not like us. He became one of us, God incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ so that he could be our high priest, so that he could pay the price of our sins. But we need to always remember that he is holy God. There is a majesty and a mystery of our God that is found in His holiness. Thirty years ago, even longer than that, I, I preached to my youth group, and then I preached to my church. I talk about the holiness of God. And man, I knew what I was doing. I had it down. I had it, you know, I, I can tell you about it because I know about it. And the longer I live, as the last 30 years have gone by, I just realize more and more how much I don't know. How much more there is to Him. I'm just learning. I'm just beginning to know Him. Now we know in part. There will come a day when we see Him as He is, and we will know even as we are known. But now I'm just learning. Reminds me of the story about Albert Einstein eating at a dinner and there was a young woman seated near to him and she says to the gray-haired old man, she says, sir, so what is it that you do? He says, I devote myself to the study of physics. She said, wow, I finished mine a year ago. And I'm just telling you that is about the way it is with a lot of people in knowing God and especially when it comes to understanding things like His holiness. See, sometimes we think, oh, we know everything there is. We, we got it down. Oh, no. We're just getting started in knowing how awesome, how wonderful, how amazing our God is. I read a book by R.C. Sproul called The Holiness of God. I mean, the guy literally wrote the book on the holiness of God. I got to the third chapter, about 50 pages into the book, and he says, have you noticed that I haven't defined holiness? I don't want to. And I understand exactly what he was talking about because, you see, we want to define God we want to say, well, God is just like this. But when we do that, we are taking an infinite God and making Him finite. We're putting Him in our little box of understanding and what and who we think He is. But you can't. He is awesome God. And there is nothing that is more awesome than His holiness. 
So I want you to know that whatever definition, whatever illustration, whatever explanation that I might give you about the holiness of God, it is just a shadow. It is just a weak example of the holiness of God and a a definition of holiness. It's just a beginning place of trying to understand the Holy One. But to be holy is to be set apart from all that is worldly or common. It is absolute moral and ethical perfection. Our words can't ever fully describe the holiness of God. It is part of the wonder, the awe, the mystery, and the majesty of God, the Holy One. He is set apart. He is otherworldly. He is not like anything or anyone in this world. He dwells in unimaginable pure light. He is untainted and undefiled. He's beyond imagination. He is, in a word, holy. He is the Holy One. And without knowing Him as holy, you just can't truly know Him. Sproul Sproul in his book says, any attempt to understand God apart from his holiness is idolatry. He is holy. And if you don't know him as holy, you don't really know him because this is who he is. There's a story from the ninth century about Alfred the Great. He was a king who saved England from conquest by the Danish. And at one point during the wars, he hid out in a small hut of a poor Saxon family. They didn't recognize him as their king, and so the woman of the house had to leave for a while, and she told Alfred to watch her bread that she was baking. But the king, of course, had more important things on his mind, and he didn't notice that it was burning, and so when she came home, she gave him a royal chewing out, not knowing who it was that she was talking to. I got to tell you, a lot of people don't know who they're talking to when they talk to him. They don't realize who he really is. And they talk to him in a way that they should never speak to him. They never would if they really knew him. I hear teachers and preachers even saying, you know, I was mad and I just told God how it was. Oh, no, no, no. You don't even know who you're talking to. Let me tell you what holy means again. He is undefiled, untainted. He is absolutely morally and ethically perfect. He has never done wrong. He has never made a mistake. He hasn't wronged you, mistreated you. You have no right to tell him how it is. We need to know this holy God, that's who he really is. You know, the Bible uses the word holy to reference so many things. It it means much more than just a good person or morally pure or righteous or just. It means more than that. It means to be set apart as special. There's holy ground, holy scriptures, 
holy water, holy bread. There's a holy temple, and the articles of the temple were all considered to be holy. If you took a dish from the temple and you took it to your house and used it in your house, then it would be defiled. It would no longer be holy because it had to be set apart for a special use. It couldn't be used for other things. It was no longer holy if you did that. You know, we read in the scripture about a holy covenant, that we read that the Sabbath day is holy. It's different from other days, that the tithe is holy, that God's people are to be holy, set apart, not like everybody else. All these things are different. They're special. They're not ordinary or common because holy God makes them holy. He declares them to be holy. He sets those things apart as his own, and we are his own special people. Now, as I said, I don't really like to use illustrations when I'm talking about the Holy One, but in understanding holy, I want to give you an illustration of what undefiled and untainted means. Pastor Mark did an object lesson today. There's something to write in your diary. A toothbrush. Here's a toothbrush. It's used for one thing, really. It's to brush your teeth. I hope you have your own. Right? I mean, I say that for several reasons. One, I hope you have your own. I hope you do use one. But also, you don't share with somebody, do you? I hope not. No, we all have our own toothbrush. I mean, we don't want a community toothbrush, right? I don't want to use yours, and you don't want to use mine. That would be gross. Now, i got to tell you, I have used an old toothbrush to clean engine parts. And my wife has used an old toothbrush to scrub a stain out of a shirt. But we don't take it back into the bathroom and use it again in our mouth because it has been tainted. It has been defiled. It can't ever be the same. Back when I was youth pastor, we'd go to camp, and there was one camp, I remember I'm threatening the, the young people. They said, now, if you get caught sneaking out, you will have to clean the, the toilets with your toothbrush. And I don't know if they ever did it. I heard stories, but, you know... What I do know is that if your toothbrush was used to clean the toilet, it doesn't matter if they put bleach on it. Do you want to use it again? No. It doesn't matter if they boil it. It doesn't matter if they put it in an autoclave and sanitize it. It doesn't matter. Nobody wants to put that toothbrush back in their mouth because it's been tainted. It's been defiled. And I want you to understand that in the holiness of God, our God is untainted. He is undefiled. He is absolute moral, ethical perfection, absolute light and truth. He is amazing. And oh, how we need to know this wonderful God, a holy God. Exodus 15 and 11 says... Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You see, when we really know this holy God, it is, 
Yes, a fearful thing, but it's also an awesome thing. It is a beautiful thing to experience the holiness of God. It's hard to put into words. I know that I have experienced the presence of God in such a powerful way. At times, I just had chill bumps all over. The hair on the back of my neck was standing up. I was overcome with emotion. Times when I trembled. Times when I just wanted to get on my face. And I see this through the scriptures. And I heard stories of so many people that have experienced the presence of God in such a powerful way. And I know that He is real and I know that He is present just just as much whether I feel Him or not. But I know that when we see Him as He is, as this holy God, it is a wonderful thing. It is a beautiful thing. He is glorious in holiness. C.S. Lewis said, How little people know who think holiness is dull. Oh no. When one meets the real thing, he says, it is irresistible. When we talk to him, it's like nothing else. When we encounter his presence, there is nothing in this world like it. You know, we're living in this culture where nothing seems to be sacred. We can't seem to grasp what the holiness of God really is. But he is unique. He's set apart, untainted, perfect, beautiful. And the church needs to rediscover the holiness of God. How will the world know him if we don't know him that way as the Holy One? In Revelation, John gives us a picture of what he saw in heaven and what he saw of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to go first to Revelation 1.17, but... Before I even read that, I, I want to just tell you this John who, who's writing this. This is John who, in the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. Like he was the favorite, you know? Like he really loved me. Anybody ever feel like the favorite? God just loves you so much? And maybe you don't. Maybe you feel like, no, that's not me. Well, let me tell you something. He loves you just as much too. But John, he just, you know, it's really kind of humorous that he calls himself the beloved disciple. And he even makes reference to the fact that he was the one that rested his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. That's how close he was. That's how comfortable he was with the Lord Jesus in that human body. But when he sees him in Revelation... He says this in Revelation 1.17. He says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That's how awesome, how fearful the sight of the Lord Jesus was. Do you know him that way? Do you realize that he is that awesome, that he is that holy? John says, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And then in Revelation 4.8, he gives us this picture. It says, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He sees these angels that day and night, day and night, think about it for just a moment, day and night, 
24-7, they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Amazing. When something is repeated over and over in Scripture, it is for emphasis. It is like multiplication. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. In the Hebrew, it's actually shalom, shalom, multiplied, perfect peace. And when the Bible says that God is holy, 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 it is emphasizing, it is showing us how fantastic, how awesome is his holiness. There is no other word spoken about God in repetition, not love. It doesn't say love, love, love. It doesn't say almighty, almighty, almighty. It doesn't say mercy, mercy, mercy. It doesn't say faithful, faithful, faithful. It only says holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's the only thing that is repeated about God again and again. I'm telling you, we need to know Him this way. It's the holy God. The holiness of God is behind every other attribute of God. Everything about Him is holy. His Word is holy. His Spirit is holy. His name is holy. Everything about Him is holy. His righteousness, His justice, His love, His mercy, all of those things are based on the holiness of God. When we lose the holiness of God, we lose the true God and who He really is. You know, if you have omnipotence without the holiness of God, you just have tyranny. If you have love without the holiness of God, you end up with this worldly version, and it's all the rage, even in religious culture, of love, 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 that that's the only thing that matters. Nothing else matters. doesn't matter how we live, what we do, because God is love. This hippie flower child kind of love. When my God, the Bible says He disciplines those that He loves. I tell you, you just can't separate the other attributes of God from the holiness of God. We've got to know the Holy One. And the more that we know the Holy One, the more that it will change us. As one glimpse of His holiness should cause us to see the things in our life that are not holy the things in our life that are not pleasing to Him. It makes us aware of our humanity, but of our sinfulness, of our compromises. In Isaiah chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 through 5, but Isaiah was the great prophet of God, great man of God. He wrote the prophecies of the Lord Jesus being born of a virgin, a child who would be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. It was Isaiah who wrote those words at least 700 years before the birth of Christ. This great man of God, listen to what he says when he gets a vision of the holy God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Now let me just stop right here again because I know a lot of people get really confused about this. No man has seen God at any time and lived. That's what the Bible says. Even God himself said it. And we need to know that. Nobody has seen God in all of his glory, all of his holiness and lived. But he had a vision of God. Some say, again, that it was an Old Testament visitation of the Lord Jesus. But you just need to understand, even here, he didn't see God in all of his glory. But he says, I saw the train of his robe, it filled the temple. His kingly robe actually filled up the whole entire temple. And above it stood seraphim, angels. Each one had six wings, very similar to the story that we read in Revelation. With two he covered his face. Why? Because they cannot look upon the holiness of God. With two he covered his feet. Why? Because the feet represent the filth of this world, all that is unholy. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy. There it is again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As you read on, Isaiah's lips were purged. With a hot coal from the fire, they were cleansed. Just as Jesus cleanses us with his blood. But I want you to see how that this revelation changed Isaiah. That he realized who he was. He realized who the people he lived amongst, who they really were. And when we see God as he truly is, we know that there are things in our life that need to change. When we see God as he truly is, we realize just how far our culture has drifted away from a holy God. We can't play games. We can't compromise. We can't have this attitude that we just do what we want or we just, you know, well, I, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I, I'm, you know, God understands. We can't play those kinds of games with God. We can't just play church. When you really see Him as a holy God, it changes you. Amen. We want to pursue holiness ourselves. We want to be like Him. We want to be close to Him. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, in religious America, most people would just say, I don't believe that. You can believe whatever you want. I'm just Aaron boy. I just tell you what the book says. 
And it says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, that don't fit with my doctrine and what I've been taught. Then you ain't got it all figured out yet. Because it all fits together. And if if what you believe doesn't fit with that, you need some adjustment. But without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And get this, he says, pursue peace and holiness. We're supposed to be pursuing it. And we don't even talk about it anymore. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, it's not this anything goes, it doesn't really matter how I live, what I do, yeah, big deal, as long as I don't do anything real bad. See, that's the attitude of a lot of Christians is, is, well, I'm not as bad as them. Since when is that our standard? A holy God is our standard. And He's the one that we live for. He's the one that we want to please. And He called us to holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And the more that we know the Holy One, the more that we want to clean up our lives and get everything unholy out of our lives. And you know what? We can't do that on our own, but He sanctifies us. He gives us His Holy Spirit so that we can truly be His holy people. But I know this, that when we have the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One, that it gives us understanding where we talk right. And we treat our family right. And we are kind to others. And we do business right. And we clean up our internet activity. And it changes the way that we look at the opposite sex. It changes the way that we live when we truly have the fear of the Lord and knowledge of the Holy One. It will change you. Over and over in the Scripture, it shows us that when we really know Him that way, it changes our behavior. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, and we're going to look at those promises in just a moment, but it says, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, as I read this verse, and I'm saying these phrases, I realize just how foreign this is to most people in our Christian culture today. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. We have a part in this. No, we can't do it on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. But we have a part in this. We're supposed to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness. Ain't nobody perfect. But we ought to be learning. We ought to be growing in holiness. And we don't even talk about it. In the fear of God. Jesus cleanses us from past sins. And it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. We certainly can't do anything on our our own, but we have a responsibility, he says, to clean it up. Clean it up. Clean it up. I'm saying that for somebody. Clean it up. What promises is he talking about? We'll just back up two verses. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, 
And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. These verses have to be taught and have to be preached because most people don't see that there is a condition here. You want to really experience God? You want to really walk with the Lord and and be close to Him as your Father? Here's what He says. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a Father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What a fantastic promise. I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, we cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You notice there in verse 17, he says, come out from among them and be separate. God wants us to be separate. He doesn't want us to live in a monastery or some kind of a commune. No, Jesus said we were in this world, but we're not of it. We're supposed to be separate in that we are a holy people. We don't act like the world. I so despise this attitude. People say, oh, well, I'm just like you, except I got Jesus in my life. No, when you get Jesus in your life, it's supposed to radically change you. You're a new creation in Christ. You're not the same old person anymore. But we are supposed to be a separate people. In Exodus 33, the Lord tells Moses, my presence will go with you. And here's what Moses says in response to that in verse 15 and 16. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So shall we be separate your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. What separates us from the world around us? It is the presence of the Almighty in our life, that He is with us all the time, that we really are His holy people. You know, when you read like in the book of Leviticus, it has all of these ceremonial laws, and I don't know about you, but I get bogged down in there, and I just get bored, and I have a hard time with it. So many of those ceremonial laws don't really apply to us. But I want to tell you the principle that is given there and and what we can learn from that. I mean, there's a lot of principles as you read that book that the Holy Spirit can show you and teach you things from. But I just want you to understand the big picture is this. God gave all of those ceremonial laws to His people because He wanted His people to be different from everybody else in the world. He wanted His people to be separate, to be His own special people. And the same is still true today. He wants us to be His own special people. We don't have a bunch of weird ceremonial laws, but that principle is just, the, see, it's the spirit of the law. We still live by that same principle. We are not to be just like the world. No, we're supposed to be different. In Leviticus 20 and 26, he says, You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Wow. He separates us from the people because we're His. We're His people. Different. 1 Peter 
1, 13 through 16, you'll find some of the same words here again. He says, Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. It rests your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust is in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I want you to notice he says, in all your conduct. It is not just a positional thing that we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. No, we are to be holy in our lifestyle and the way we conduct ourselves to be God's holy people. And he says, for I am holy, not as I am holy. No, we can never be as holy as he is, but because he is holy, we also decide that we're going to live a holy life. This is what pleases the Lord, is that we truly live for Him each and every day of our life. And He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can do that, so that we can be His holy people. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body is to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, we are washed in the blood of Jesus. And we have His Holy Spirit so that we can be His holy people. I don't know when exactly holy became a four-letter word. I know some of you are thinking, preacher, it is a four-letter word. But I don't know how it ever got to the place in church culture where holy is despised. And for a preacher to stand in the pulpit and talk about holiness is a difficult thing. But I do know this, that our God has not changed. And His Word has not changed. He is still a holy God. And if we really want to know Him, we need to know Him as the Holy One. You know, I realize that it's not about religion. I say it all the time myself. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. But we need to understand that in that relationship, if we really know Him, We're going to obey Him. We're going to live for Him every day. We're going to try to please Him in our life. And we're not going to make excuses and compromises and allow things in our life that shouldn't be. Another verse of Scripture that we often leave off part of is James 1.27. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. And I want to tell you, that the church certainly should be helping people, caring for those that need our help. But so often we don't even read the rest of the verse. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Do we keep ourselves unspotted from the world? I want you to know that Jesus is preparing his bride. Ephesians chapter 5 says that He loved the church and he gave himself for the church. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her. And how does he do that? It says, with the washing of the water of the word. The word of God shows us where we need to change. It shows us where we've made compromises in our life. And it is through the word of God that Jesus is preparing his bride. It says that he will present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's who he's called us to be, his holy people. I want you to stand with me.